Well, good morning, church family. How you doing this morning? Oh, that's not very good at all. Honey, are you all doing good this morning? Yeah. <laughs> Amen. We got a lot of excitement going on this morning. We got baby dedications in the second hour. We got baptism this morning. Give God praise for that. And we also have a new song for you. If you stand to your feet, there's no excuses because you know the words of this song because it's one of the most famous, most spoken scriptures in the Bible. For God so loved the world, amen, that he gave his only son. So let's sing together. Bring your 
seated. My son Mason on a beautiful Sunday morning and it's my privilege to get to baptize him. So I'll just ask you to repeat after me. I believe. I believe. That Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ. Son of the living God. The Son of the living God. And I accept him. And I accept him. As my personal Lord and Savior. As my personal Lord and Savior. All right. Because of your profession of faith, it's my honor to now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. For the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of everlasting life. Always good to see someone come to know the Lord. Well, this morning as we uh, get prepared for communion, uh, I want to remind you, of course, communion began with Jesus' disciples sitting around a table at Passover. Now, Passover, if you remember, was the time where God brought his people out of Egypt, out of slavery. And he had told them to take a lamb for a family, to roast that lamb, to take the blood of the lamb and put it around the doorposts. So when the angel of death would come to strike down the firstborn, he would see the blood and he would pass over that family. Well, Jewish tradition tells that in order to have Passover, you are to take a lamb after it's born and you are to bring it into your home. You are to care for that lamb. You are to take that lamb like it's one of the family. The children get real attached to it and they probably name it and they love on it. And it is that lamb that has to then be given up for Passover. Now, can you imagine giving your child a pet and then telling them, you know, months later we're going to sacrifice this pet? But that's what they do to they remind themselves of the great sacrifice that was given by God. And so Jesus sits down with his disciples taking this Passover and they explain and retell the great story of how God delivered them. And then Jesus took the bread that they were eating. Bread in a culture in which they didn't use forks and knives and spoons like we do. And they just dipped their bread into a bowl and they ate from the bread. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. So there was no way you could live in their world without bread. Jesus was born in Bethlehem called the house of bread. And Jesus took that bread that unleavened bread and he broke it and he said this is my body which is broken for you so as often as we eat of it we remember him and in the passover meal there are four different cups that they they drink of wine the third cup is called the cup of redemption and jesus took that cup and he took it and he said this is my blood which is poured out for you So as often as you drink of it, remember me. That is what communion is all about. It reminds us of the great sacrifice that Jesus gave of his own life for us. 
So this morning, as you celebrate communion, I pray that you remember what each of those elements mean. We have communion stations all over the room. You're welcome to get up here in a few minutes and and get your communion. Let's pray together. Father God, we just praise you this morning. Father, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would fall upon this place. Father, that you would continue to anoint Stu and the worship team and all the tech people that are helping. Father, just anoint them this morning as they continue to lead us in worship. And Father, I, I pray that we remember, we remember the great sacrifice of your son for our sins how his body was broken and how his blood was poured out for us. Your word says there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. And I thank you that your son shed his blood for us once and for all. That we don't have to show up on Sunday mornings with a new sacrifice, that your son did it all for us. Father, we love you but we realize that you loved us first because you gave us your son. It is in his precious name we pray. Amen.
seated. Amen. I love, I love seeing dads in the baptistry with their kids. That's what it's all about, man. That's what it is all about. It's family, family doing that together. And it's perfect because we're in the middle of this series that we call Better, How to Win at Home. And a large part of what we've been talking about is how, how parents and kids work together and husbands and wives work together to make better families, not perfect families, but better families. And so, uh, man, what a great, great, great way uh, to start off today. If you're a guest here today, it's your first time, thanks for coming. Thanks for coming and worshiping with us today. Uh, obviously, you got to experience something great already. We want you to stop out at the I'm New wall or one of the tents on your way out. We've got a gift for you out there uh, that we would love, love, love to share with you. As, as we dig in today, as we dig in today, we really, the key word we want to talk about is balance. What's it look like to balance all the things in our worlds so that we can have better marriages, better families, better relationships? Because here's the deal. Here's the deal. We as earthly parents... We as earthly parents are all designed to be somewhat of a surrogate parent for a heavenly father to prepare them. This week, the whole world has kind of been wrapped up in watching the passing of the crown from the queen to the prince now to be king. And so we've seen that transition of royalty and of passing on. And really, parents, our job our job is similar to that. Our job is to help prepare our kids to spend their eternity with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and prepare them for that experience of royalty. Because in royalty, there's all these things that you need to know in earthly royalty, not in heavenly royalty. In heavenly royalty, what you need to know is that Jesus Christ is Lord and glory to the Father because of that. And so we're preparing our kids for that. So I love seeing, I love seeing uh, families that are actually working through that and, 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 and transitioning through. I know Mason's been thinking about that decision for quite a while. And so, man, it's just awesome, awesome, awesome to see today. So with, with, with all that in mind, if you could only have one prayer answered, only one. As a parent, if you could only have one prayer answered for your kids. But you were assured you were assured that that one prayer would, in fact, without a shadow of a doubt, be answered. What would that one prayer be? I'm guessing you just got yours answered, all right? Because that's the most important one. That's the most important one. And, and the reason I say that is because here is, here's a phrase that you need to get your mind around. You're going to hear it over and over again this morning. Direction determines destination. So what we're trying to work to, what is the ultimate destination? The ultimate destination is heaven. So proper directions are getting us toward that destination. GPS is amazing, isn't it? GPS is absolutely amazing. But GPS, it, it's, I've, I've used GPS. I have found dirt roads in Colorado 
I have found dirt roads in Utah. I have found dirt roads in the mountains of eastern Kentucky. And I have found back alleys in downtown Louisville and Cincinnati. It's amazing that a system like that can find a dirt road, a back alley, or an interstate going all the way across the country and get you from one place to another. But they are only as good as the information that you put into them as the directions that you give them because you mess up you because and they meant to get you on that like autocorrect like you think you're putting in indiana and you put it in illinois and all of a sudden you are a state away you know what i'm saying they are only as good as the information the direction that you give them determines your destination and it can quickly take you to the wrong place you have to know where you want to go But sometimes on earth, that even ends up getting a little squirrely, doesn't it? Have you ever ended up someplace and you were confident? You were confident it was exactly where you wanted to be until you got there. Until you got there. Now, long before GPS, I mean like decades ago, like in the, like in the early 90s, you know, some of us remember that well, some of us weren't on the planet yet, but okay. They, they actually had these paper things that like you unfolded and, and, and then you could actually call AAA and they would give you these things called triptychs. You remember triptychs? I mean, we depended on triptychs. And in the ministry, before you could Google a town and find the churches, we had within churches like ours, we had a, a, an actual book. It was called the Directory of the Ministry. And you could look up a state and then in turn look up various cities and find out what churches like ours were in that city. Kim and I were going to Augusta, Georgia to watch the first three rounds of the Masters. And we were so thrilled about that and so excited. But I was a youth minister. We're like, we're trying to figure out, okay, where can we afford to stay? So I'm, I'm ahead of the game. I'm ahead of the game. I'm months out and I'm, I've got the director of the ministry. I'm looking, Augusta, Georgia. I'm finding a Christian church. I'm calling him. Guy was so nice. I mean, super nice. I told him what we were doing, you know, and things like that. He said, come stay at our house. I was like, no, that'd be a little bit weird. I don't even met you before uh but he's like okay i got a place for you i got a place for you you know it's not super expensive but i got a place for you it's called horns motor lodge i'm like all right i'm all over that i get off the phone with him i dial you know on the little punch button dial remember those i dial that and and i call and horns motor lodge and i made reservations for the three nights that we needed i'm like i am set I am all over this. I am being husband extraordinaire. Day comes, we get in the car, we drop the kids off of grandparents, we drive to Augusta, and we go find Horn's Motor Lodge. Did the term Motor Lodge give it away? It kind of good. Like, I've seen that place before. It's in gang movies and stuff like that. I, I mean, like, like, I pulled up in front and... Kim didn't have to say a word. I knew. 
So we start driving all over Augusta looking for a different place, you know, just trying to find some other place because the place that I thought I wanted to be, I did not want to be and she sure didn't want to be. And so we start driving all over Augusta. Do you know that the week of the Masters, if you haven't made advanced reservations, the week of the Masters, Red Roof Inn goes for 500 a night. That was in the early 90s. I can't imagine now. So, and they're all sold out. I'm like, you're kidding me. At 500 a night, you're, yeah, we're sold out. We got nothing. So Horns Motor Lodge it was. Only three nights in my life I have slept with a four iron. <laughs> I thought I was in the right place. In fact, I was in the right place. I was in the place that I had decided to go. But I got really bad advice. And, and, and so I'm stuck there. Sometimes we find our, we survived, obviously, uh, and only two black eyes, but I didn't get charged with that. Uh, but, you know, so sometimes we find ourselves in, in places in life that we have to do like, you know, the mayhem commercial, like we have to recalculate, 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 because we find ourselves in, in, in not directional places, but we just find ourselves at places in life like, I thought this was where I was going to want to be, but it's not really where... I wanted to be. See, direction determines destination, Direct, not intention. Intention doesn't determine destination, it's direction. What direction do you want? I, I kind of always prided myself a little bit, falsely, now I know, and, and knowing what I wanted, knowing where I was going, knowing what, what I needed to do. And, and I really thought, for there was a, there was a, a long season, life, I thought I was going to be a youth pastor until Jesus came back. That was, that was my desired destination. That was what I wanted to do. And, and then sometime, probably right after the Horns Motor Lodge or, or episode, I decided, you know, I just felt like God was saying, no, I want you to do something else. And so then I really, really thought, I, I, okay, hi, God, you're getting me. I was having these dreams, and that, that's too long a story. And I was like, okay, God, you're getting me ready. And then I really thought that I wanted to, like, be a senior pastor. And I really thought I was, wanted to be here until a June afternoon in, in 1996. And I'm standing trying to answer my seven-year-old daughter at that time who's crying in our living room asking why people hate her daddy because the vote wasn't, it was good, but it wasn't as good as what we had hoped for. And Evan couldn't figure it out. And I'm trying to explain all of that to her. And, and all the things that I, you know, some of the things that I thought I wanted, I, I thought, mm, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure if I picked the right direction. And the older I get, the more, the more I understand that direction determines destination. There have been so many other events in, in our lives, raising our family, that we thought we had it all together and found out we didn't, but we survived. We survived because ultimately, always in every situation, whether it's in Horn's Motor Lodge playing, praying before we went to sleep with the four iron or raising our kids or our grandkids, our ultimate destination is not even here. It, it's not even here. And so when we come back to that, we're like, okay, yeah, this stuff, is, this stuff is just like stuff that gets in the way. It's like road bumps, but it's important. Nobody likes the pain. 
of going through struggles in our marriage. Nobody likes the pain of, of, of watching your kids or your grandkids go through struggles. So how do, we, how do we figure out the best directions so that we can receive the best destination? And when we get off target... Are we willing to recalculate and pivot and make the changes as necessary? We end up in a place, when we get in those bad places, we end up in those bad places and it makes us really unhappy. You know when you're unhappy, you're kind of hard to live with? If you don't believe that, just glance at the person next to you and they'll nod. And yeah, When you're unhappy, you're not easy to live with at all. But the problem is, the problem is happiness, happiness is so conditional. Happiness is so conditional. For a lot of people, the only way they're going to be happy is if every little thing works out perfectly. Then there's a whole nother group of people that are never going to be happy Unless they're unhappy, and I don't even know what to do with them. But the balance we want to achieve that is unconditional is not found in happiness. It's found in contentment. And that's a different thing. It's a place of peace in the midst of all the storms in life. It's a type of balance that we want for our family. And the destination that we're looking for here is contentment until we can receive eternity. It's understanding that everything is going to be okay because of the one who said it's going to be okay. And the book of Philippians is an incredible book in the Bible written by a guy that had every reason in the world to be uncontent, to be unhappy. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Philippians, the fourth chapter. It's the last chapter in this book that Paul wrote while he was under arrest and in a prison cell. Most of the history says that most of the time that he was in that prison uh, where he wrote the book of Philippians, he was actually chained to a Roman guard. So he's not actually writing. He's kind of dictating. Somebody's writing it down for him. And at a time when, when you find yourself in prison for what you think may be, a life sentence and you may die there how do you find contentment in the middle of that listen to what Paul said or what Paul wrote had written for him rejoice in the Lord always I'll say it again rejoice let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near do not be anxious about anything everybody anybody ever get anxious other than me that that kind of that you know that you know I want that it's right here, right? It's that feeling right here, right? He said, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about that stuff. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. <laughs> And I read that, I'm like, oh, I hope not all of it. <laughs> I hope not all of it, because probably what, probably what some of 
my kids saw from me, no, don't, don't ever do that again. Don't ever do that again. Just so to be able to say, like Paul said, if you saw me do it, say it after I gave my life to Christ, then put that into practice. Do that. And the God of peace will be with you. Then he finishes up with, with some words that, that we have heard before that we use a lot, but maybe, maybe not completely appropriately. Because he goes on to say, starting verse 2, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need. For Here it is. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances i know what it is to be in need and i know what it is to have plenty i have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry whether living in plenty or in want i can do all things through christ who gives me strength wow Wow. And to know that the guy that is given, uh, given the, the responsibility of, of sharing this, the God-ordained responsibility of sharing this with us, is in a prison cell when he's telling all of these things. When he's sharing all of these things, I've learned to be content no matter what the circumstances. Well, that kind of eliminates everything going well for you when the guy who wrote it's in prison, right? I've learned to be content. Now, notice here, because I think it is important. Paul didn't say there, I have learned to be happy. Even Paul understood the difference between happiness and contentment. I've learned to be at peace. I've learned to find contentment even in situations that wouldn't normally bring contentment. It's a balance. It's a balance that requires an attitude, an attitude that begins with a choice. It's like Joshua, when they've gone into the promised land and he's given, given words and direction to the people. He said, here's the deal. You choose with you this day, whoever you want to serve. You can go back and serve those false gods if you want, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That's where we're going to find contentment. That's the choice that we're going to make along the way. It's what Jesus was talking about in his very first sermon in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. What we know is the Sermon on the Mount. In chapter 6, he gets to a point about halfway through that chapter, and Jesus is teaching. He says, I know, I know how it is. You guys worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear. And, and he goes on to say, don't you understand that the, the father of everything understands all that, knows all that? And then he finishes with these words. So seek first the kingdom of God and all those things, they'll be taken care of. And when you're worried about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, what you're going to do tomorrow, how you're going to get through this situation, if you put God first and seek God first, he'll take care of it. Now, it may not be in the way that you want, because here's what we use it. We've got shopping lists for God, don't we? I mean, we might as well, have, might as well be an app on the phone, you know? Shopping list for God. Here, it, well, we, I guess we do, because it's called a prayer list. And so we go down through our list of what we want, what we want, what we want, what we want. And we want, in, in our evaluation, is God answers prayer if he gives us the things on our list, even if the things on our list aren't the best things for us. You see the difference? Jesus said, you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, 
his right way of living. And then he'll take care of all of these other things. All of our decisions need to flow out of that simple truth that direction determines destination. Let me, let me, let me spend the rest of our time, let's, let's break down chapter 4 here just in four short things, really short, four things hopefully that you can take home as action steps and then we'll give some more at the very end. Now, the first thing is just to be joyful. How's Paul start this section out? Rejoice in the Lord always and again I tell you rejoice. Be joyful. He makes that command and he says it's a choice. You've got to choose. You may not feel like it or feel like you're forcing it. But he says, rejoice, because that rejoicing attitude is a discipline. See, there are a lot of things in life, and the older you get, you understand this, right? There are a lot of things in life that we either do or don't do when we would rather do something else, right? Right? You understand that? It's called sacrifice. It's giving up something we want for something we want even more. It's doing the right thing, making the right choice. It's the right thing to do. We, so we just kind of have to fake it till we make it, only it's not really completely faking it. It's just making a choice. I'm going to do what God tells me to do, and then I'll understand someday down the road. We've been part, as a church, we've been part of a uh, of a church development fund, investment fund, uh, for since its beginning. It's called the Solomon Foundation. Some of you know about it. Some of you invest in that. And it's really cool because all it does is the Solomon Foundation allows individuals to invest in, in what they're doing and receive a return on their investment. Now, it's not, it's not as much as what you might get on the big days of the New York Stock Exchange when things are going great. But I don't know if you're watching, but I've been watching. I'm kind of glad. I've kind of switched some of mine right now. But but it's solid. It's, it's secure. And here's the best part about it. All the funds that I have personally and that our church has and the Solomon Foundation, it's building the kingdom because here's what they do with those funds. They take them and they loan them to churches that otherwise couldn't get loans. Do you realize that there's a lot of churches in our world that can't get a loan to build? They just can't do it. They don't have credit record. They don't have history. They don't have a big congregation. And so even when they're trying to start with a dream and a vision, they can't get a loan. And the Solomon Foundation comes in and gives loans. And so far, they've given a couple hundred loans uh, to churches. Not a single church has defaulted. And in the churches they've helped build in the last decade, over 120,000 people have been baptized. That's a pretty good return on our investment. That's a pretty good return on but. But they do, here's, here's what I like the most about them. They've got five core values. I don't even remember the first four, but they're on their wall at their corporate office. I don't remember the first four because I love the fifth one. Number five is have fun. Big, bold letters, have fun. It's just all about rejoice in the Lord always. Whatever's going on, have fun. Enjoy it. Enjoy the ride. Enjoy the kingdom. And, and that's the way I want to live my life. I would, be, I would be not being honest if I said it's how I always live my life, but it's a goal. 
It's the direction I'm trying to get in my life to have fun. I met a guy years ago when I was still doing youth ministry here named Chad Goucher. He was an intern at Southeast in Louisville um, for a while. And at the same time, I was doing youth ministry here, and we got to know each other. Now Chad preaches at, at this church just outside of Phoenix called the Refinery. It is the coolest thing. It's one of the fa- top ten fastest-growing Christian churches in America. They are doing some of the coolest, coolest, coolest stuff in Phoenix. And Chad and his wife, Melissa, are friends with Kim and I, and we travel together, do things together at times. And a, a few years ago, we had been on a, we'd been on a trip together with a bunch of pastors, and Chad got home, wasn't feeling too good, went to the doctor and found out he had a terrible lung disease that is eventually going to require a double lung transplant. And it was bad quick. But he found some doctors in Mexico and some people came along and helped. And he's been going back and forth and getting infusions because he's, he's younger than me. And so they're, they're trying to hold off as long as they can on doing that. But, but so that's what, you know, God, I'm growing this great, you know, we're growing this great big church for you. And everything's going great and wonderful. I've got what? I've got a lung disease? And like, because I can't breathe, I can't talk. Because I can't talk, I can't preach all the time. What, what's going on here, God? But in the midst of that and all these treatments, and he's doing a lot better now, praise God. But Chad and Melissa now are traveling all over the country. In addition to building a church, they're traveling all over the country doing marriage retreats. And their theme is this, choose joy. Choose joy. But not just choose joy, schedule it schedule it. I've seen his calendar. They're like pick days and they're like, okay, this is what we're going to do that's fun today. We're going to schedule some times to rejoice in the Lord always. Because a lot of times if we don't schedule it, we won't do it, will we? So be joyful. Second thing, real quick, we got to keep moving, is be gentle. Be gentle. I'm, I'm going to give you a news bulletin here, okay? People who are happy, especially those who are happy in the Lord, they're not apt to either give offense or take offense. But people whose trust is not in the Lord, man, you can't hardly make them happy. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing that you can do to make them happy. And you know the people that I'm talking about, so please don't point. It would be inappropriate at this time. Their, their, their minds are occupied with higher things. The ones that get it, their minds are occupied with higher things. And they're not distracted by the little stuff. The little stuff that happens here, uh, which rises in our life. But joy in the Lord is also the cure for discord. It's the cure to being able to be gentle. And then he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Evident means that it would be seen. But, but there's this balance that we've got to have. Remember I told you early on, the whole thing was about balance. The balance between happiness and contentment. Here, the balance between being gentle and not being a pushover. With me? Because there's a lot of the world today, oh yeah, you just do, do whatever you want to do. The, the Christians, they can't say anything because they're supposed to be nice all the time. Yeah? Gentle. Gentle. You know what gentleness is? Gentleness is power under control. It's power under control. It's, it's being able to balance that, okay, I'm going to take a stand. There, there's a line in the sand, and at that line, I'm going to take a stand, and I'm going to stand firm. Do you know how many times the Bible tells us to stand firm? We can stand firm and still be gentle. 
And it says that we need to have mildness and patience and mercy and moderation. Those are just attributes. But Paul put it this way. Paul put it this way to the Galatian church in Galatians chapter 5. He said what you're really supposed to have, what you're really supposed to have is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's, it's what we often talk about as the fruits of the Spirit. But, but here's something I want you to get. The fruits of the Spirit aren't meant to be individual. They are meant to be a team effort. See, there's a lot of people who would say, yeah, yeah, I, I got, okay, I love people, but that joy thing, that ain't for me. No, 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 no. You, you with me? You know, it's like they're, they're a team. You don't get to separate. You don't get to put the one that you don't like. You don't get to put the gentleness over on an island by itself and say, I'm going to do the others because if you don't do all of them, you can't do that one. Are you with me? The fruits of the Spirit are meant to be a team that we receive into our life. Now, some of the team members are stronger in my life than others. I'm just being real. And probably in yours too. But they're meant to be a team. We receive the fruits of the Spirit when we give our life to Jesus. And we're supposed to live out all of those things in our life. Our job, our privilege is to be gentleness. And that gentleness needs to be evident. So let me ask you, how evident is it? Does your spouse recognize your gentleness? What about your kids? Do they recognize your gentleness? Students, young people that are in here, do your parents recognize your gentleness? What about your neighbors? What about your coworkers? Because what Paul says is that let our gentleness be evident to all. So rejoicing, gentleness. How are you doing so far? It's easy to get to this point and think, God, what a loser. I'm such a loser. I, I could do so much better than that. I, I, a lot of us probably feeling that way. But what we need to understand is we're not alone in doing this. The, the Holy Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit is here to help us in those times when we feel weak. Christ is here to help us in those times we feel weak. So how do we access that? Third thing, be joyful, be gentle, be prayerful. Be prayerful. Proper Christian balance requires this joyful attitude and this gentle disposition, but it also requires a prayer life. And listen, y'all, Jesus is right here with you. You just need to talk to him. See, some of the challenges that I know about, and I don't know probably half of the challenges you guys are going through, but some of the specific ones that I know people in our church, church are going through are just shredding people with anxiety. And, and I get it. It's like, I really, I can't believe that that happened. Some of those challenges are overwhelming. But I got good news. Jesus is never overwhelmed. When you die on a cross for the sins of the world and you're innocent, not much left to overwhelm you. Jesus is not overwhelmed. He'll give you peace that makes no sense 
The peace that will guard your heart and emotions. It's a peace that passes understanding that is talked about here. And it's a balance of finding peace in your life that comes from being joyful and being gentle. And so we pray about that, that God help me not, maybe if we just start praying, God help me find peace, not help me find happiness. God, help me be okay. You, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take your will and your guidance and help me to be at peace with that. Even if it's not what I would choose for myself. And finally, be positive. Be positive. See, if we can empty our hearts and minds of the things that, that cause anxiety, what do we fill our minds with? If we're, if we're taking it, because you don't want an empty mind. Because that then becomes the devil's playground. So if we're going to take out those things that cause anxiety, which he was trying to fill our minds with in the first place, what do we replace it with? Paul tells us things that are true, things that are noble, things that are right, things that are pure, things that are lovely, things that are admirable, things that are excellent and praiseworthy. We pour those things into our mind and we focus on those things. And if we don't know how to do it, we find some good examples we all need examples. We all need people that we're following. We all need mentors. We all need to be mentors, but we all need mentors, people that we're looking up to. Uh, I, I get that AARP discount now, right? And I still got mentors. The, the, the end of next month, I'm going to hang out for about three days in Nashville with some of my mentors to, to be challenged to another level. Guys that are further on the journey. Than, we all need mentors in our life. People that we hang out with. People that we trust. People that will help us find joy and gentleness and peace even in the midst of the storm. Guess why they can do that? They've been through some storms. And you've been through some storms and there's some people behind you. We may be going through a storm right now, sounds like. <laughs> I love it when God just, boom, that's just perfect. <laughs> but we all need good examples, mentors in our life. So let me ask you, who are the examples in your life? Who are the mentors in your life? Who are the people that you are looking to for guidance and say, that's what I'm going to be like. I, I, get, I still got three or four guys. Someday when I grow up, I'm going to be just like my pastor Wally. That, that's, that's my goal. That's one of the greatest men I know still living on the planet. And someday when I grow up, I'm going to be just like him. That's my goal. And he's an example for me. And what about examples for your, for your spouse? What about for your kids? Who are you pointing? Now, hopefully you would be an example to people and hopefully you'd be an example to your spouse and to your kids. But what if you actually, in addition to you being a good example, started pointing them to good examples, started guiding them to people who could guide them? Right now, right now, we're seven weeks in or six weeks into this series, Time of Family. And I know some people say, man, it's been great. It's been great. And, and a lot of people have been telling me, man, it's been hard. It's been hard. It's because I'm hearing stuff that, that I, I'm not doing too well on. That's all right. We're in this together. We're in this to win it. And our direction determines our destination. And Paul talks about knowing what it's like in the best and the worst circumstances. Did you hear that there about verse 11? I've learned to be content in any and every circumstance. And then he finishes with, I can do all things 
through Christ who strengthens me. We use the Philippians 4.13 a lot, don't we? We use it a lot. We, we, we write it, we quote it, we put it on Facebook and, and Twitter and everything. And I'd say that probably there's someone in this service, don't, you don't have to show Somebody in here probably has a tattoo with Philippians 4.13 on it. We use that a lot as a reference. Use it as a lot as a reference. But let me suggest something to you. We might be misusing it. We might be misusing it. Because a lot of times I see athletes, you know, and, and they'll, they'll either get the tattoo or they'll put it on their eye black. And it's kind of like saying, I could hit you so hard because I could do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Philippians 4.13 is not about how hard we can hit as much as it's about how hard we can be hit. What we can endure. What we can go through and come out on the other side because we can do all things through Christ that strengthens us. And, and, and so, if, if in any of this family circles, things aren't as good as you would like them, hang in there. You can do all things through Christ that gives you strength. Let me leave you today with six homework assignments. All right? So, get a pen out or get your camera out on your phone. Either one. And if you're going to take the picture, wait till the last one because it'll have all six of them on there. All right? Here you go. Assignment number one. Get your kids in our children's ministry. Get your students in our student ministry. No excuses. We spend a ton of money and resources to make sure we got people here who can help help you be a good parent. And if you don't think it's doing a good job... Find some place that is because your kids need it. Your kids need it. This is at least the second week I've said this to you. And you don't hear me, Pastor, say it. If you don't think this is the place that can help you and help your kids get through life, find another place. It's that important. Now, I'm stacking my chips on the fact that you can't find a better place around. But if you can, find it. Because it's that important. Get your kids in our children's and youth ministry. And remember, it's not their job to raise them, but they want to help you. And it will help you. Second thing, in those places, know what your kids are learning. That needs to be the conversation on the way to Wendy's today. What'd you talk about today? What'd you learn today? All right? And have those comments. Do not drop your kids off of the door and then you go to Wendy's. That's when you need to learn. And you need to grow together. And you need to know what they're learning at school too. And you also, we've been talking about, you need to learn what they're learning on here too. And just let me remind you, tonight at 5 o'clock, we're having a seminar here. Kelly McNew will be here. She's worked in the schools for years with kids. She knows a lot about the social media world. And she's going to show you, not tell you, show you the hidden dangers that are on here. That if you're a parent of a young child and adolescent, you better know. So 5 o'clock tonight, just meet out here in the lobby, and it's, it's, it's important. So get your kids in ministry. Know what they're learning. Third thing, have some specific times of prayer for yourself. Yourself. 
Psalm 92, the psalmist talks about prayers in the morning. God, thank you, and and ordain my day and help my steps. And prayers at night, thank you for getting me through the day. Have some specific prayer times. Calendar it on your phone. Calendar on your phone so an alarm goes off. Number four, find those mentors. Find those mentors, for, especially for specific areas that you need help in. Look and see, who do you think is doing good in those areas and talk to them. And one of two things might happen. You might, not, you might find out they're not doing as good as you think they are, and you all can work on it together. Or they might really help you. They might really take you somewhere special. Number five, join a life group. Get around some people your age, your place in life, that y'all can share the pains and struggles as well as the joys. In fact, the perfect time to do that is tomorrow night at 6 o'clock at Pathways. All right. And if you haven't been to Pathways, come to First Step first. If you've been to First Step, you're still just kind of hanging out there, not in life group. Come back tomorrow night, six o'clock, and go to Second Step with Bobby, and he'll 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 help get you in a life group. And if you haven't signed up for Pathways, go to the Next Step room right after service. They got some sign up sheets back there. And number six, this is a big one. Make a commitment to break the 1.8 barrier. You think, what's that 1.8? What's that mean? If you're here last week, if you're here last week, the average churchgoer in America attends church 1.8 times per month. That's less than half. How about we break the barrier? How about we change the stats? How about we make a commitment that I'm going to be serious about this. Church is not going to be that thing that I do in case I'm free and nothing else. Church is going to be that thing that drives my calendar. It's going to be the first thing that goes on there. I'm going to schedule the rest of the week around the time where I'm growing in my relationship to Christ. And I hear all the time, I hear all the time, well, I can do that outside of a church. And every person that ever tells me that, I can look at their life and go, not very well. Because they mean to, but they don't. And suddenly they're lost. Jesus said, what good does it do if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? One of the reasons I think it's so powerful watching dads baptize their kids I see a lot of dads, I see a lot of moms, well-meaning moms and dads that are living their life athletically, vicariously through their kids. And they're chasing their kids all over the stinking country for travel leagues and this and that and trophies and medals and all those things are great and wonderful. But when you stand in front of a holy God and show him your 12-year-old home run trophy from Little League, it doesn't get you into heaven. We got to focus on what's really important. What's re- do all those other things, man? Do, but use them for His glory. Use them for His glory. For thirty some years now, every time I'm going to a sporting event, I'm talking to somebody about Jesus and about the church, and trying really hard not to yell at the referee. Because <laughs> what is it? What good does it do for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give you in exchange for your soul? Guys, direction determines destination. So we need blessing upon our life. Would you guys stand with me?
as we've been saying through this whole series, if you're here with someone special in your life that you're, you're working on family stuff together, grab their hand, bow your head. If you need to make Jesus Lord of your life and don't know what that looks like, Bobby's back at our decision room. we got some other folks that will go back there, pray with you, talk with you, whatever. Maybe the decision today is just we're going to do better. We're going to do better. That's what this series has all been about. So let's make a commitment to do better and let God bless our lives.
I hear the refrain of that song, He is for you. He is for you. He is for you. What a great, great reminder. And we're glad you've been here today. Hopefully, if you're new, you'll stop by the I'm New Wall. If you're ready to get involved and become a member of the church or get involved in life groups or serving, you'll stop at the next step room back out here and sign up for Pathways. We'll see you tonight at 5 o'clock for the Hidden Dangers, tomorrow night at 6 o'clock for Pathways, and Thursday night for worship. If you want to come check that out, get out of here. Go love God, love people. Let's go change the world. <laughs>